0: Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. This week, the Global Impact Team, Mimi Haddad and Kimberly Dixon. We'll look again at the impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing from leaders serving around the world to learn from and be encouraged by their work and its life-saving impact.
1: We are honored to host Stephanie Muthun. Stephanie is trained in both Bible and music, serving as a music director for 25 years. She's also a singer and songwriter and was invited to Kenya in 2003 to celebrate a concert for children, um, for street children. There, God broke her heart for the plight of street children and began using her gifts both for the benefit concerts and creating a CD to support children globally. But in 2008, Stephanie Midland learned about the intense fight against human trafficking in her own backyard of Sacramento, California. So she began writing music and leading concerts that benefited benefited the fight against sex trafficking with Courage Worldwide, who was opening safe houses for girls rescued out of sex trafficking, both in California and in Kilimanjaro, Tanzania. She eventually joined Courage Worldwide staff, and in 2017, after raising three boys, she and her husband, Joel, who had been a pastor for 25 years, took over as executive directors of Courage Worldwide Tanzania. Since that time, the work in Tanzania has exploded from four residents and five staff at Courage House to 60 residents and children, 55 staff, two safe houses in the Kilimanjaro region, and a safe house in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, which will open in May 2023. They also opened Courage Cafe for funding sustainability, job training for the Courage House residents, and to raise community awareness about human trafficking. As Courage Worldwide looks to expand into other parts of East Africa, she was promoted to the Courage Worldwide Regional Director of East Asia. Woo. Yeah, personally, I'm very excited to have Stephanie on because, um, I started volunteering with Courage Worldwide back in 2008 or 9 as well, and that's where I first got to know Stephanie and her amazing musical abilities and have watched her over the years as um, Courage Worldwide has changed and grown and now is in Tanzania, and I just can't wait to hear her updates. So Stephanie, could you share with our audience the story of Courage Worldwide and how they came to focus on those who are exploited by sex trafficking?
2: Yes. Thank you, Kim and Mimi, for having me on. It's an honor to be on this podcast. Um, Yes, our founder and CEO, her name's Jenny Williamson, and she has a nonprofit to help people find their purpose, specifically women. And when she was at church one Sunday in 2007, there was a speaker who was talking about human trafficking, who had a ministry in Cambodia and talked about young children being sold, shared heartbreaking stories. And Jenny found herself wrecked by this. And she um, started researching and about human trafficking and found that every time she was researching, Sacramento was coming up. And that's where she was at at the time. And so as she did more research, she realized this wasn't just happening in Cambodia and other parts of the world. This was also happening in Sacramento. And the FBI had been rescuing children, um, recovering a couple hundred children at that time. And what she discovered is there was not a home and a place specific for these children to go that addressed their trauma. And so long story short, God led her um, to use this nonprofit to help, how can these kids know their purpose if they don't have their needs taken care of and to use her nonprofit to build children homes, call them family, give them a place of healing and refuge and safety and a place where they can know their unique purpose as well. And that's how that started.
1: Um, Wow. I remember being, watching that a long time ago and all of the church's hearts breaking with um, Jenny and you and um, saying, yep, we've got to do something about this.
0: Good for you. Yes. Stephanie, can you oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just wondering if you could describe for us the challenges that girls and women face that make them particularly vulnerable to trafficking? And how is the situation different in the US compared to say Tanzania?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, um, this whole thing was pretty new to me. And when I saw a front page article in the Sacramento Bee in 2008, Jenny's Dream for Courage House, I was shocked um, at what was happening, that was happening in my backyard and, met with Jenny and heard what um, she had been finding out people that she had been meeting and even girls and children that had been on the streets. And she was telling me some of their stories, the vulnerabilities. Um, Often uh, there's early childhood sexual abuse. Um, It it is often in the home by somebody know. Um, that makes them vulnerable. We say that kind of puts this bullseye on them to the trafficker. Um, that they're sexually abused uh, in the U.S. Especially, they're often runaways. We do see that in Tanzania as well. In the U.S., many girls are come from foster care situations, um, group home situations, probation, and they um, are vulnerable to a trafficker exploiting them. Um, and and, and it often comes in this grooming type of a way of I will be your boyfriend or I'll take care of you. It doesn't necessarily come in the form that so many people think of when you watch movies like Taken and mm-hmm. um, you know that they're kidnapped and, and taken across country. Now, some of that does happen. We do hear accounts like that, but it does. It is more of a grooming situation, Uh, domestic violence. You know where love the lines get blurred. Like, what is love and what is abuse? Mm -hmm. And some of the girls, some of the girls we met, I mean, they are. They wouldn't even know their victims. Their boyfriends were their traffickers, and often would require them to have a quota each night and bring home the money and which means at times they, the girls are raped or sold um, 10, 15, 20 times a night even. Hmm. And so they, they are trapped in this life. They're threatened if they don't do this. Um, they're threatened or their families could be threatened. Um, all kinds of things that keep them trapped in this. They're often abused. Um, and you know, some of the girls that we met had scars on their bodies from abuse from the trafficker to keep them, keep them from leaving them. So those are the vulnerabilities. And in Tanzania, poverty is probably the biggest vulnerability. Um, we also see, unfortunately, in both um Tanzania and what we saw in the US is often family members are involved in exploiting them or selling them, it could be a a mother in prostitution or a mother or uncle or aunt that um, is drug addict. And this is a a way to make a lot of money. Uh, Human trafficking, this crime has grown so much that it's it's tied with the number one crime um, of illegal drugs and arms and, and human trafficking. What they're finding is drug traffickers are changing crimes or adding this crime because you sell a gun or you sell a drug one time? You sell human being over and over and over again. So it's very—it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. I mean, I know these numbers are low, but what the, what the they're saying is hundred fifty-billion-dollar industry, and that the younger a girl, the child. He, Even we found in both in Tanzania as well as in the US, the younger a child that is being sold for sex, the more money she makes. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the that's the hard thing. And and we were super shocked about family members selling their children. And we met a juvenile court judge in Sacramento, and she said every day in her courtroom, she had parents who were selling their children. And we see this in Tanzania too. Um, it's not necessarily; it could be for drugs or alcohol, but sometimes it's just for survival. There's a there's lack of jobs. Tanzania is one of um, the poorer countries, and so there's a desperation also behind this.
1: Yeah, the um, younger ch- the desire for younger children um, is that due to a fear of disease where people recognize that um, the younger the child or they hope the less likely they'll be um, carry disease, sexual transmitted diseases?
2: You know, I don't know. I've not heard that one, Kim, but um, that could very well be. There's a lot of myths here in Tanzania. Um, I mean, horrific you know, things of young children or babies um, that there's a myth that that could cure you of a disease. Um, And so sometimes that happens. Witchcraft is one of the things that's attached to this. And we know it's such an evil crime. And we've heard this in the U.S. as well as in Tanzania. The ties to witchcraft Um, and human sacrifice and child sacrifice, as well as satanic ritual abuse in the US. I I didn't even know if I believed all that until we heard from several girls the same stories in different parts of the country. And so um, there's really ties in that way, too. And so child pornography, one of the first um, victims that we ever met, she was sold at six years old. Uh, by her mother and it was through child pornography all over the world and unfortunately there it's it's horrific but there is a market for this and um and it's very lucrative
1: yeah we just did an issue on pornography and the link between pornography and sex trafficking i think is so poorly understood but um Mm -hmm. it needs to be addressed I, yes. I want to ask you, Stephanie, how do you think God speaks into the situation? And are there specific scriptures that you believe address the lives of the girls that you're working with and address your work specifically? Yeah, you know, um, when God
2: broke my heart for, for the children I saw living on the streets in in Africa, Um, I was so overwhelmed by seeing children, boys, especially initially on the streets that were my children's age. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't fathom my life in the U.S. for what I saw in these developing countries that had so little and children on the streets that were hoping to get a couple meals a week. Right. And I was I was wrestling with God, and I was praying. And I was just like, "How can this be?" Like, you know, my heart was so heavy, and it was it was just breaking. And um, and I just was like, "God, you need to do something." And and I felt Him really speak to me, Stephanie. I want you to just do something. I want you to be my hands and my voice, and an advocate for these children. And I remember feeling very overwhelmed, like, you know, as we're researching hundreds and thousands even millions of children on the streets or being exploited for sex, you know, around the world. Um, And what I realized is it wasn't my job to to fix it. I can't do it all. But one by one, for what God's called me to do in front of me, I will do that. And then also be an advocate. So if all of us did our part. And I remember um, once, you know, scripture really came to life about the least of these in Matthew 25, because I felt God's presence so strongly under this tree in Africa with, with these, these street children. And we were giving them some water and all this. And that scripture just came to mind. Like, I was like, why God's presence is so strong. I was a worship leader for many, many years, um, professionally. And I was like, God's, presence is here in that same way but i realized that scripture came to life as we do it to the least of these we're doing this to jesus himself and that really struck me um there was a quote i read and this wasn't a scripture but it was a powerful quote from a worship artist um, called sean groves and he said if, you live, if we lift our hands in praise and worship and with those same hands don't extend them to the poor and the needy, the least of these, we have worshiped a singer or a song or a service and not the living God. Amen. And that spoke to me so much as a worship leader that um, our worship is to go out. It's not just, I'm all about, the times of church you know it it strengthens us and it fills us up to you know um it heals us i've had a lot of healing in my life and and worship and god's word is spoken and, and done a lot of healing in my life but um something about going out that worship going out to the least of these is the heart of jesus and how how we touch them and then with um, courage, you know, one of the scriptures that that you know we really talk a lot about is in, is Isaiah sixty one about setting the captives free, and Jesus quoted those verses in Luke four when he began his ministry mm-hmm. um, with My the favorite. spirit of the Lord. Yes, the spirit <laughs> of the Lord is on me, and so he talked about the his ministry is setting captives free, and um, and you know and 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 setting the oppressed free and so if that is jesus ministry and mission we know it is ours too to do the works of jesus and setting captives free and that's really what um has has driven me in this
1: I love that. I think it was yesterday I was listening to a podcast. It was talking about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament was looking at how God worked inside the center of a nation. And then that Mm -hmm. brought in the New Testament to that. Now we're looking at the margins, the outside. That is where God is working. And if we're not there and we're not working there, then we're not representing Jesus So as you, yeah, as you were talking, I thought, oh, that's so true. So good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break right now to promote CBE's Women in Scripture
0: and Mission. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns that were translated and used around the world. Today, she is still famous for her hymn Blessed Assurance. In the late 1800s, her hymns were so popular, people say she wrote the soundtrack to D.L. Moody's revivals. As a child, her doctor pitied her because she was blind, but Fanny saw her blind as a special ability that removed distraction and helped her write hymns. Learn more at ministrywomen.org.
1: Welcome back. Mimi, do you have a question for
0: Stephanie? Well, Stephanie, I'm so grateful for the experiences and wisdom you shared thus far, but turning to your own personal life, were there moments where you encountered a particular trauma that led to redemption for you and others? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, you know, when I was a young girl, um, I was just very vulnerable, 12, almost 13 years old. And I had experienced uh, a date rape by a young man in our neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. um, at the time, you know, this was what, 40 years ago. We didn't know what date rape was then. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was definitely... I said, no, try to fight him off and, and knew the guy and he raped me. And that, that became a very defining moment for me in my teenage years. And, um, I had a lot of self-hatred. Um, I, you know, was, my family was involved in church and, um, I just was living this double life as promiscuous, um, what that first experience did for me, it really stole my voice, being able to say no. Hmm. And so I had this promiscuity in my life and relationships. And by age 16, I had a lot of self hatred. And when I overdosed and just didn't want to live anymore, and I overdosed um, on a bunch of just household pills and I could feel the effects of them and thought I was going to die. And I cried out to Jesus um, and to save me because I realized I didn't want to die. And when I woke up in the morning, I had gotten sick. I'd hallucinated all night. Um, It wasn't good, but I realized God spared my life and that I must have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I soon after that committed my life to Jesus um, and was determined to follow him. And and one of the things I was passionate about, I wanted to help young girls that have gone through hard stuff. And um, I went to Bible college. I was growing in my faith, um, studying the Bible. And but I felt like I had still a lot of healing in my life to do. And mm-hmm. I remember scheduling an appointment with a counselor and this council, I was uh, the night I, I was going to go to this counseling session. There was a guest um, pastor at our school, and who had a ministry of, of healing. And it was the very last night, and, and we as student body was studying the Bible, but also encountering the Lord in a beautiful, personal way. And that last night, when I was supposed to go to counseling, I canceled my appointment to go this last night. There's a woman on the prayer team. And she said to uh, the student body, we're all very close. There's only about 60 students said, the Lord has put on my heart that there's some one of you young women here that has been raped and he wants to heal you. And my mind did not know that was me, but my spirit yeah. knew it was me. And I just started weeping. And I was this pastor who's become a mentor of mine all these years, just prayed healing prayers for me, experienced the love of Jesus and and healing of Jesus. And it was very powerful. And two weeks later, you know, uh, I was jogging in the park near my Bible college and a man jumped out with a knife and um, he proceeded to sexually assault me the knife at my neck and I thought I was gonna die. Um and I just this I had memorized Psalm 23 as a young girl. It's one of the only scriptures I had memorized, but all I could think of was praying that I looked at the sky and just praying that psalm out loud out loud and I just remember even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me. And I really thought it was it. And I remember looking to the eyes of this perpetrator and they were just this greenish yellow eyes and look like very demonic. Um, but out of the blue, he stood me up, told me to run. Um, and I, as I sobbed, my <laughs> ran way back to my, the campus um, Bible college. Um, I realized God spared my life again. And we called the police. We called the police, and long story short, um, eventually found um, this perpetrator, went to court and testified against him, and the case was thrown out because there wasn't enough evidence, but yeah, but I have to say what God did was he had healed my heart those few weeks before this experience, and I think that experience could have destroyed me in, in many ways. But it was like my heart was protected. And it was like I knew the enemy was trying to stop me and take me out. And I was even more determined, like, no, God must have a purpose and a plan for my life. And when I was testifying in on the stand and and, and facing this man and what he did to me, even though his lawyers were trying to make it seem like this was my fault, what were you wearing? All Oh, those, my no, goodness. And I, I I wasn't prepared at all for this experience of, of testifying. But what God did in that is I released the outcomes to him and thought maybe God's given him another chance and he won't do it again because the police did tell him, we are watching you. You know, they knew there was enough evidence, but they said we are watching you. And I, what I realized in that experience for me is I got my voice back again. Because I told this courtroom and this perpetrator what you did was wrong, um, and it just fueled me to use my voice. Mm-hmm. And eventually, as God called me um, into this whole area with trafficking, many years later, I realized, ah, that's that that sacred wound for me, although you know, experiencing two sexual assaults like I did was very traumatic. And I had, there's, you know, counseling and prayer and things to fight for my healing that I had to do. It didn't just happen. Mm -hmm. But um, I knew when God called us to this whole area of, of sex trafficking of girls, I understood a small portion of their trauma. Um, because I knew it was like to overcome these two traumas, but our girls often are hundreds or even thousands of rapes. And, um, and, and I think what helped me is like, I know God can heal this. We were told people in the system, as we got involved said, there's no way these girls can heal from this. There's no way church people can handle this, but I knew God gave me seeds of hope that yes you um that god can heal he's healed my life and often over the years that i've shared my story with people i've been very public about it and i have a book where you know my story is detailed but i get women even men coming to me all the time never have told a soul so many people are walking around broken that have been sexually abused sexually assaulted you know raped you know molested and have never dealt with it, have never told a soul. I know one woman that went to her grave with that secret. Mm. And that is not living in freedom. And so I know there's healing and bringing it to the light. And it's just, it's just this sacred wound that God has used to help me encourage our girls and know that they can experience healing through Jesus, through good trauma therapy, through people that love them like family
1: yeah as i listen to you i think the work that we did in india um with a, a home for girls rescued out of sex trafficking one of the things was mm-hmm. preparing the girls to go to court against their accusers yeah. and yeah. they face everything you just described where they're tried to m- be made out as the cause of this horrible violence against them so i'm just thinking yeah. how powerful it is that you've been there, and you mm. can coach yeah. them through that. Although you'd never wish that on anybody.
2: Mm. No, you know, and I, that's something I was very passionate about um, because I wasn't prepared to, to prepare our girls for that. And I was really honored to help walk two of our girls um, in the US through testifying. One of our victims testified against her trafficker um and you know we prepared her her team lawyers prepared her and all that and she was one of the strongest witnesses they'd ever seen and her traffic her trafficker was put away for 36 years and yeah the second girl um you know we didn't have a lot of time with her but we were just there for her as an organization and she testified This this guy was actually a serial rapist and he went after women in prostitution, young girls being trafficked. And he was put away for like one hundred and forty four years. I Um, love it. Wow. I know. Yeah. So anyhow, that is why, you know, we never pressure our girls to testify um, over here. Most court cases get dropped because you have to have DNA evidence. You can't just have um, a a victim statement. Um, But as we, you know, try to encourage and empower girls that want to go to court and face that we that's, that's our passion.
0: Right. Oh, this is great. I, this needs to get out far and wide. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So
1: that was a deep dive into really hard (laughs) aspects of your experience and how God has redeemed that in so many ways, but who has informed your outlook on the equality and the value of women in society and religion and why? Mm.
2: Mm. Good question. Um, You know, I mean, really, uh, you know, this may sound cliche, but we look at how Jesus treated women. Mm -hmm. And I know there's, there's arguments, you know, in the church, a lot, you know, should women be pastors or elders or leaders or teach and, you know, um, and then even, you know, in in countries like in in Tanzania, um, you know, women, there's a lot of a, a of women and girls um, and that's that makes them very vulnerable to trafficking because of that um, being subservient but as you know my husband and I have looked at this and dealt with as a church you know Jesus always lifted up women above where the society at the time was lifting them up and so that you know, I mean, that's our ultimate example. I I mean, I have many heroes of of women and leading the charge and this woman who started a home for street boys and Jenny's a hero for having, you know, of starting, you know, courage house and, um, not easy as a woman to lead the way, be CEOs, be directors, you know, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, they have a call from God. And if Jesus himself lifted women above what the culture said, that's, you know, when we look at our culture, women and especially in the church and, you know, and, and all over the world, you know, it's, they, we should do the same. They right. should be allowed to be the lifting them above, above what right. the yeah. culture ties.
0: Amen. I love to focus on Jesus. And I thank you for that response. It's just glorious. So, Stephanie, what changes have you seen as a result of your work and more broadly changes, good or bad or otherwise, in Christian organizations where you serve or those you influence?
2: Yeah, um, gosh, we have seen a lot of changes. Um, I mean, just specifically, and what we're all about is the lives of our, our girls, Mm -hmm. And, um, they, you know, our girls come in very, um, broken emotionally, sometimes physically, all kinds of uh, things, spiritually. And, uh, you know, one girl in particular, I think about, you know, she was 15th time she's Muslim and her first day at Courage House, she said, this is the first time I've been treated like a human being. Mm. And so, you know, seeing our girls really come to life one by one. Um, we've, we've worked with more than 150 girls and we are our long-term program. We aren't just a short-term come for three, six months, um, eight months, you know, um, and then put them out on their own because they, they're vulnerable and they go back. So one by one, we, we see these girls and, and, and come to life. And I'm really excited to see them now. You know, many have children. We just had uh, one of the girls. My husband and I moved to Tanzania five, um, well, six years ago now. And one recently got married and has a baby. And now she's pregnant. She has a job. She's on her own. And mm-hmm. and um, that, you know, seeing from where she started right. with courage, you know, to now living her dream and being a role model for our girls, it's a beautiful thing. So that's that's our results, you know. And the other thing I love too is in a country where there's very few jobs, we are giving so many jobs. Um, I think we have 50 staff now in Tanzania wow. and, um, m- m- most of them women. We, we have, I think 20% men. Um, our directors are women, our managers are women. Um, yeah, social workers and, and amazing leaders. And I love that. And so, you know, we've, Continue to promote people. Our, our young social worker eventually became a manager. Um, Joel and I are now directors of East Africa, and we're starting looking in other countries in Africa. And then, um, and then our you know manager at the time became the director. And so we just see these women leading the way and seeing them be empowered too. Um, in their culture and then the best thing is some of our girls one is studying law she wants to fight for the rights of women and children mm-hmm. she's studying Amen. yeah she's well done she's studying <laughs> yeah she's studying law here in Dar Salaam. another one um the one that i told you that she said this was the first time she's treated like a human being she's mm-hmm. now halfway through her social work program mm-hmm. and uh there is a desperate need for social workers in Tanzania, and um, so we're encouraging many of our girls when it want to go to college for social work. But this one already the government wants to hire her, um, when she's finished, and we do too. So we might have to arm wrestle the government. <laughs> <That's> but, <great. sighs> but I she is such an incredible leader that I honestly think, um, she is going to go to high places in her country she said when she, she, you know, she did give her life to Christ and she said, God started speaking to her um, as she, you know, gave her life to Christ and praying and interceding for her, her family and the community of her people. And she feels like God has placed a call on her that she will have a solution for the cries of her people. And I Love that. So mm-hmm. that right there, it, you know, it's about our girls when they overcome the darkness and the hell that they've been through. They are going to be leaders in their community. They are going to be leaders in their family. so mm-hmm. one of the best compliments I love is when a girl goes and visits a family, and that whole thing gets can get very complicated and messy. But mm-hmm. people I, often tell her, they say, "You are shining." you are shining. That's, that's one of the things. And isn't, I just love that. And we just see that happen from a girl that would, some, some of them would not be here, that some of them come pregnant with little children, knowing, um, their, those children may not be here or they'd be, you know, this whole generational cycle of, of, of trafficking and exploitation is stopping. And it's, so it's changing generations as well.
1: Yes, it's beautiful. I do have a little add on question that's not on here, but I'm wondering, as you do your work in Tanzania and the community around is watching, have you seen, um, you know, pastors open up to what's going on? Have you seen changes going on in the view Mm -hmm. of trafficking? Have people been willing to to start talking about it and maybe a shift in the culture around this?
2: Yes. You know, that is such a good question. And pastors are one of the places and churches are the places that we love to do education on. Um, One of the things that is very cultural here and a girl could be as young as 10. And we have had some girls at Courage House as young as eight years old, actually. And we've had a couple of cases, um, but this is a common stigma of our girls. When we say, "Well, how does the community see you?" and they say, "Evil, mm-hmm. bad, you know, um, dirty," and you know, and then we've had two cases where um, there were men in jail, several rape cases. For this one 10 year old in particular, men in jail. And um, the women, the wives of the men want to kill this child.
0: Unbelievable.
2: And they want to, so they see the girl as a girl with bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that is the common thing. This girl has bad behavior. But as we educate pastors on, no 10 year old, no eight year old would ever choose to sell her body. That's right. As we educate them on why this girl is a victim and she's not a bad girl. Right. Um, and, and we educate them on the trauma and and what's happening to them and um, why maybe she might have a chance and why, why she could run um, the PTSD even and the flashbacks hmm. and not knowing good people are bad people and bad people are good people sometimes pastors have exploited and even um uh, raped our girls so when it comes to our girls don't know you know who is who is good and who is bad and so as we tell pastors of this they are so broken by this they're so broken by and and um what's happening to these children. Often our meetings, I, I think Joel and I have done some trainings for well over 1,500, 2,000 pastors and women leaders in Tanzania. And the response, the response is always, we have to do something. Let us know what we can do. Or I'm taking this information, this training on human trafficking, and I'm telling my church, And that is the best way here um, for pastors to do it. And so we do see male pastors, female pastors here take um, this Mm -hmm. seriously and want to change their culture. And and we are seeing a shift. But, you know, just like the U.S., there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's still misperceptions. And so there's still a lot of work to do. But in Tanzania, there's also um, a beautiful momentum now of government. Churches, NGOs, universities coming together. We're part of a network. Um, I'm on the board now uh, for this group that's more than a hundred entities coming together called Tana Hut, which is Tanzania's Against Human Trafficking, yeah. and that so that coming together in unity is so powerful, mm. and I love seeing, uh, especially you know some some people, some Tanzanians leading the way and we get to come alongside and be a part of Mm. really what God God is doing.
0: So you're really seeing a unified effort between church, culture, and even you as an ally from the U.S.? Very much so. I mean,
2: it's actually shocking. Um, I think in California, one of the things we found is there was a lot of people working together but then there was a lot of, um, a little bit of kind of, I don't know, competition. Mm-hmm, right? I think everybody, you know, if you're a nonprofit, I mean, churches can do this too. If you're a nonprofit, funding is always the biggest issue. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, we need funding if we're going to do this mission to pay our staff to help our girls. And But sometimes it can get icky with like-minded people. And we as an organization always be like, hey, we're on the same team, right? Be a part of our events, we would give all of our big fundraising get, events, we would give 10% to a fellow nonprofit doing similar work. Yeah. And we oh, wanted yeah. like we are we are together. And I think that's mm-hmm. where the enemy wants to come in and bring division, oh, yeah. bring competition. Oh, yeah. And it it can just kill the work and then the world is looking at us going what in the you know you right. know what in the world and so so in Tanzania we just don't see that it's a mm. sweet time mm. really and of, like we, I just met with Salvation Army women today and they came to our office and mm-hmm. I didn't know how much Salvation Army here and around the world is addressing human trafficking and uh-huh. these women so, some of them were burned out and I was like oh we understand we've been there and we were mm-hmm. able to pray for them oh. and it was just that and they're like Hey, you know, I was telling them about resources for secondary trauma. I'm like, this is a real thing when you're working with victims Mm -hmm. that it can impact us. And they said, please, can you help us? And there's just this like, let's Mm -hmm. share resources. Let's share knowledge. Let's share trainings, all this thing. And so it's, it's beautiful.
0: Well, you you are really, really leading by example, Stephanie. And I think it's an example to us all and it certainly speaks highly of your hopes for the future of these girls and women not only where you are in tanzania but for all of us around the world and i hope our listeners are really inspired and just tingling with joy learning all of these (laughs) as we are anyway i I I am (laughs) yeah this is this is (laughs) a fantastic interview stephanie and kim and thank you so much for it and we really, you know, we really want to promote this um, wisdom widely and just ask the Lord to increase you strength by strength Mm. as you go forward. Mm. Mm. Thank you.
1: Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. It's just been wonderful. And we will be putting all contact information for you in our show notes so people can follow what you're doing in Tanzania and figure out who Courage Worldwide is. So if you Mm -hmm. have anything else you'd like us to add, just email that to me and we will put it in our show notes.
2: Thank you so much, Kim and Mimi. It's great to talk with you guys today. Thank you. I'm gonna God bless
1: you. Bye-bye. Wow, Mimi, what did you think of Stephanie and Courage Worldwide? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for me, despite all these years of working in gender and Bible and church life, it was a graduate course. I learned so much. I have all these notes that somehow I have to make sense of and pray about. <laughs> But, you know when i she, saw you
1: writing down as fast as you could i was <laughs> like ooh what's she writing
0: <laughs> my little my little learning cells were just in heaven and I, I thought that her comments about you know how young these young girls are the favored ones not only around the witchcraft and the demonic ritual but through the belief that by raping younger and younger girls, you actually purify yourself of disease, spiritual and Mm -hmm. physical. That, nothing could be, I mean, Satan is the author of lies, but Mm -hmm. I also reflected on a couple of lectures that I've been privileged to share with Jackson Katz, who goes to college campuses around the United States when there's been a a rush of rapes. And -hmm. he talks to the football team because if the football team can make it uncool to rape usually the rest of the men on camp they're their macho heroes jackson jackson talks about these bulky gi joe that over time he's documented how gi joe gets bigger and stronger with biceps and quadriceps and just this monstrous body and barbie in contrast Mm -hmm. gets thinner and thinner and childlike and waif-like and he held Mm -hmm. them up to each other it's just dominance it's just power Hmm. to exploit those who are less strong Hmm. and I just kept thinking about that when she talked about it and yet as Christians we know that the power in us is stronger than any force of evil in this world Um, and I just took I took what listening to her story Kim which I'm not sure you've heard before
1: no, I'd never heard her. I've worked with Stephanie. Honestly, it's when you add up the years, I think I met her in two thousand eight or two thousand nine, and I've been to her concerts and I've worked alongside her at the home in California. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard her personal story. What did you think? I was stunned. I was stunned, and I thought, okay, well, that is not only driving um, her passion for changing this and for reaching these girls and seeing their lives flourish, but God has truly used that terrible trauma. Like I said, you'd never wish on anyone, but he's transformed it so that she has the knowledge and the understanding and the background to help these girls heal mm-hmm. and not only heal, to change our system, to go to the courts, to testify against these men, to put them in prison for 130 years. Thirty years, right? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. I really love Kim too. How you brought up the whole issue of pornography and how porn is complicit yes. in the abuse and exploitation of girls and women worldwide. And I say that in all of the lectures that I give. And mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of, I, I mean, I'm just daunted by really the the lack of education on this topic. Because because porn is the most lucrative media industry in human history.
1: Yeah, and it's really been striking me a lot since our mutuality came out on pornography. Because I was really involved in the anti-trafficking movement. And the churches really, really got involved in it all across this Northern California region. And I think across the United States to their credit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the statistics that are coming out are saying that 50% at least of pastoral staff are addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, they've have been fighting sex trafficking and praise God they have. But on the other hand, they haven't seen their own personal link to feeding sex trafficking of these little girls of destroying their, Lives and I just think it's so important and it needs to be called out, and people need to understand it. But they also need to know that it's an addiction and there is healing, and in their own healing, they can change the situation on the ground for these women and girls.
0: Yes, amen. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to the church around porn and around the objectification of girls and women and release them. From the mental and physical domination of evil, the the church worldwide. And so, Kim, I just couldn't be more grateful for your connection to Stephanie and for bringing her to our listeners around the world. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. And audience, we know this is a heavy topic. So we thank you for joining us today and hearing these stories and hearing the good work that God is doing around the world. We we ask that you continue to stay tuned to the new episodes that come to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts that focus on all kinds of Different aspects of these issues. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow Stephanie, Encourage Worldwide, and find links to her organizations, to books that CBE highlights, and resources that might have been mentioned in this interview. Also, go look at our website www.cbeinternational.org where you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal, or visit our bookstore, which contains tons of talented authors and subjects which will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership, and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon. And I'm Mimi Haddad. And we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. God bless you.
0: The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers.